0: Academic exchanges are a significant source of soft power. They provide an opportunity for a country to invite people from other nations to study in, live in, and experience a deeper level of cultural understanding of their country, which results in, for better or for worse, a more authentic and unfiltered view of their nation. Today, we will talk with Fulbright Taiwan about academic exchanges between Taiwan and the U.S., looking at current trends and how they create people-to-people ties. So, let's get into it. Hello everyone and welcome to Taiwan Salon, the global Taiwan Institute's cultural policy and soft power podcast. My name is Adrian Wu, the host of Taiwan Salon and a research assistant at GTI.
1: And I'm Marshall Reed, a program manager at GTI.
0: Today we are joined by Dr. Randall Nadeau, the executive director of the Foundation for Scholarly Exchange, also known as Fulbright Taiwan.
1: Fulbright Taiwan facilitates academic exchanges between the United States and Taiwan by providing scholarships with the aim of building knowledge, developing long-term people-to-people relationships, and enhancing Taiwanese-American ties. Prior to joining Fulbright, Randall worked as a professor of religion at Trinity University for 25 years, and he was a Fulbright Scholar at the International College at Tonghai University.
0: All right. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Nadell. So for listeners who might not be familiar with Fulbright Taiwan, can you talk about the mission of Fulbright Taiwan and its history?
2: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to join you this morning. The Fulbright Program was founded in 1946 to promote peaceful relations between the United States and its Fulbright partners through cultural and educational exchange. And so it's been 75 years since the program started, and this is still the mission in over 160 countries worldwide. The program in Taiwan began in 1957. So we're in in our 65th year uh, in Taiwan. Uh, So that was, you know, started with Uh, actually started in Nanjing and with the Republic of China and then to Taiwan in 1957 and then it was reaffirmed after the cessation of diplomatic relations in 1979 so we've had a continuous history in Taiwan of uh, 65 years. Great
1: and I I think that's a a good place to start you know I, I think you mentioned that Fulbright has you know programs around the world, but it does seem like Taiwan occupies kind of a unique space because, you know, unlike these other countries, Taiwan does not have formal diplomatic relationships with with the U.S. I'd be interested to hear, you know, how does that impact the work that Fulbright Taiwan does,
2: if at all? I would say that the lack of formal diplomatic relations did not impact the Fulbright program at Taiwan and may have even strengthened it as the foundation for scholarly exchange, as we are known here, could carry out cultural and educational exchange programs independent of political pressures. So in fact, we have functioned, I think in some ways, as a kind of alternative form of diplomacy that is uh, non-governmental, even though we were supported uh, financially by both governments. When we talk about enhancing Taiwanese-American ties, we are talking about people-to-people relationships, not state-to-state ones. I think it's important to emphasize that, like other commissions around the world, the Foundation for Scholarly Exchange uh, consists of board membership representing both the American side and the Taiwanese side. Uh, we We do not represent the Taiwan government or the US government. We are independent of both, Uh, but obviously there's membership on the board from Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Ministry of Education on the US side from AIT. So the governments obviously have a keen interest in the work of the foundation, but our primary mission and goal is to strengthen cultural and educational exchange and to help scholars and students and teachers to develop long-lasting personal relationships uh, that, that we eagerly support.
0: Great. So, I mean, I really do think that these um, informal and people-to-people ties are really important in uh, connecting countries and, you know, building ties between Taiwan and the U.S., um, but does this also fit into a larger soft power strategy for Taiwan and what impacts might it have?
2: I think that uh, our purpose being academic, cultural, scholarly is, is not an explicitly diplomatic purpose, but in terms of enhancing relationships Uh, you know, between the U.S. and Taiwan, there's no doubt. I think that we we make a contribution to that. Um, I think from the government point of view, though, you'd have to ask them um, because I don't represent either government, as I said. Uh, But I think from their point of view, this is a way to promote a relationship that um, is more implicit than explicit, um, a little bit, under the radar um, in terms of, you know, active diplomacy, Um, but we are a very large and very active program. We have this year, 380 grantees, either Taiwanese in the U.S. or Americans in Taiwan. Um, So certainly in terms of bringing people together, uh, the foundation uh, is, is, as you might say, a major player in that. Great. And I'm
1: glad you mentioned that, you know, you have a big contingent of people that are both in the U.S. and in Taiwan that are studying, and that you know really fits into broader trends within the, you know, Taiwan-U.S. education relationship. Um, according to Open Doors in 2020-2021, 19,673 Taiwanese students studied in the United States and about 451 American students studied in Taiwan. So I'd be interested to hear, you know, from your experience, can you comment on these numbers a bit? You know, what are the trends in this relationship? Is it expanding? Is it contracting? And, you know, how, how have things changed
2: in recent years? They've changed a lot. We see some interesting trend lines on, on both sides. The numbers you just cited suggest a very dramatic imbalance between numbers of American students in Taiwan, I think you said 400 something, and Taiwanese students in the U.S. over 19,000. Um, But it should be pointed out that the U.S. in general is a net importer of study abroad students, regardless of the country of origin. In the last five years before the pandemic, the U.S. averaged one million foreign students per year. And meanwhile, the number of U.S. students studying abroad for an undergraduate or graduate degree has always represented a small fraction of degree-seeking students. In terms of trends, 20 years ago, Taiwan had close to 40,000 students in the US. Last year, there were fewer than 20,000, and that was a 17% decline from the year before. And meanwhile, US students in Taiwan have grown year-on-year from about 810 years ago to 1,200 before the pandemic. What is more important than the absolute numbers is the trend lines. Fewer Taiwanese students studying in the U.S., more American students coming to Taiwan. And the Fulbright program is seeing similar numbers, a declining applicant pool from Taiwan to the U.S. and an increasing applicant pool from the U.S. to Taiwan. I can Speculate on some reasons why we're seeing this. As I mentioned, you know, a generation ago, 20, 30 years ago, uh, we had in the U.S. about 40,000 Taiwanese students pursuing degrees, mostly advanced degrees, and that number has dwindled. In the last 10 years, for the Fulbright program, we've seen of a steady decline in the number of applicants for our graduate degree grants Uh, until last year we only supported doctoral degree applications now because of the declining applicant pool we've opened it up to master's degrees that is taiwanese students pursuing ma's in the u.s so why the decline First of all, Taiwan's own education system has seen a steady expansion of homegrown master's and doctoral degrees. Over 900 departments and programs offer a PhD in Taiwan. At the same time, the demographic cliff with the low birth rate starting 20 years ago struck Taiwan's higher education sector about five years ago meaning there are simply fewer young people than there were 20 or 30 years ago. In addition, the U.S. is not the only game in town. Taiwanese have many more options besides the U.S. and Taiwan. Twenty years ago, if you wanted to get a graduate degree in France, you had to learn French. Now, there are literally hundreds of university programs offering degrees taught entirely in English and at a fraction of the cost of an American degree. And we've seen this in Germany, uh, all all through Italy. You you can get PhD, master's degrees taught entirely in English now. So So there's simply a lot more competition. Fourth, while master's degrees remain popular in Taiwan, doctorates are seen as less desirable. They simply do not translate into proportionally higher wages. Finally, the US is suffering from a serious image problem, anti-Asian violence, gun culture, the resistance to masking during the pandemic. All of this is on the news in Taiwan. So the perception is that the United States is not a safe place to be. So for my foundation and for programs like mine, Education USA, and so on, uh, we have our work cut out for us. to to promote American higher education, which I still believe is the best in the world, uh, and to uh, encourage students to go to the United States either for study abroad or for degrees. Uh, On the other hand, coming this way, Taiwan is perceived by Americans as a very desirable destination for study abroad. After COVID, Taiwan is much better known in the US And for those who wish to study Chinese, Taiwan's rich tradition of teaching Mandarin as a foreign language is a growing industry here.
0: Within the past few years, there's been greater public attention on the methods that the CCP uses to influence American institutions, particularly on how Confucius Institutes embed CCP ideology in their classes and the influence that Chinese funding can have on institutions of higher learning. This has created an opportunity for Taiwan to fill the vacuum left by Confucius Institute closures and provide institutes abroad with Taiwan's own Centers for Mandarin Learning.
2: At its height, there were about 100 Confucius Institutes in the US and now I think there are fewer than 20. Um, So this does represent an opportunity for Taiwan The advantage of the Confucius Institutes was that they offered courses in Chinese at a small cost to American universities. They were heavily subsidized by the Chinese government. And in some instances, they promoted political positions of the CCP. Taiwan cannot follow the same model and should simply promote its strengths in Mandarin education to the extent that Taiwan promotes and develops Mandarin education in the United States, sinological studies in the United States, it should do so purely from the perspective or the approach of academic, cultural promotion and exchange. In other words, it should never be an explicitly political motive. By promoting freedom of inquiry, freedom of thought, open discussion, Taiwan teachers, Taiwan programs are is already stating a position. It doesn't need to be made explicitly.
0: I really do think like Taiwan does have a really good chance of not only, you know, opening people up to a new area of Chinese study and uh, studying in Taiwan, but also, you know, showcasing some of its uh, inherent uh, democratic values, To close, can you comment on the future of educational exchanges between the United States and Taiwan? So, what are some of the challenges that you expect Taiwan to face or opportunities they should take advantage of?
2: Well, uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to comment on there. I think, for one thing, for American students wanting to engage in sinological research, study of Chinese language, Chinese literature, Chinese history. Uh, Taiwan is a very desirable place to do that. As far as the Fulbright program is concerned, for example, two years ago, President Trump terminated the Fulbright program in China and Hong Kong. Uh, And in fact, we received 35 American scholars and students who otherwise would have been doing their research in China. Uh, And they had a fantastic experience. And they discovered the depth and wealth of sinological research that goes on in Taiwan. Academic interest in Taiwan has always had two dimensions, both as a place to do sinological work and as a rich social and educational environment in itself. So American Fulbright scholars in Taiwan engage in a wide variety of research areas, from Tang poetry to shi to, to puppetry, or to indigenous studies in Taiwan. In other words, a, a range of research areas spanning China studies to uh, work more closely focused on Taiwan. I think Taiwan needs to continue to cultivate its strengths, sort of an, in, in both of these areas, certainly in Mandarin education. And we're seeing a a huge development in this area just in the last uh, two or three years, even uh, opening up master's degrees in teaching Mandarin as a second language, encouraging more foreign students, especially from Southeast Asia to come to Taiwan for university degrees. And because of that, Taiwan is positioning itself as the place to, to learn Chinese. And I think that is going to continue to be the case, and it's con- going to continue to be very important. As Americans find it more difficult to do research and study in mainland China, they're going to choose Taiwan, especially for their language study. And so I think Taiwan needs to, to promote itself in this way through professional, you know, competent teaching of Mandarin, in formal contexts, that's why you know opening the border is really important. Uh, I think you know we're getting closer to to doing that here. We, we can't really afford to to delay further. Uh, we need to bring students in to do not just degree studies, but study abroad and short term language study and so on. So the sooner that happens, the better.
1: We uh, certainly agree here. We are all looking forward to getting back to Taiwan. Uh, you really do paint a great picture that Taiwan really has an opportunity here. You know, this is a, this is an interesting moment for Taiwan in terms of educational exchanges. I'm curious to hear, you know, in your personal capacity or your professional capacity at, at Fulbright Taiwan, are there any particular projects or programs, you know, in the upcoming future that are designed to kind of take advantage of this opportunity?
2: Yeah, our program has grown tremendously in the last three years, uh, partly due to warming relationship between the U.S. and Taiwan, partly due to the efforts that Taiwan's Ministry of Education uh, is making to promote the Bilingual Nation Goal, you know, 2030 Bilingual Nation Goal that President Tsai articulated a few years ago. Uh, and so our foundation has doubled in size in terms of our revenues and, and grant programs. We have expanded in a number of areas that I'm really excited about. Uh, for the Taiwan-based student programs, we have expanded our master's program grants. That is uh two-year or three-year grants for American studi- students to get a master's degree in Taiwan. We've expanded that from 12 to 18. Uh, We've created a new award for debate coach trainers who work in Taiwanese high schools to teach uh, Lincoln-style debate. Uh, We have new Mandarin study awards, including the CLIA award, which is from the US Department of State. That's the Critical Language Enhancement Award uh, that will bring American students to Taiwan to study Mandarin. And we've expanded our own study abroad program uh, here in Taiwan to include short-term faculty-led programs uh, so that once the border opens, uh, American professors can bring their students to Taiwan to to do short-term visits. Our English teaching programs have expanded a lot. Uh, We now have uh, 150 grantees Um, That is, uh, Fulbright English Teaching Assistance in Taiwan. We're the second largest ETA program in the world, only behind Spain's. Uh, And we have cooperated with the Ministry of Education to create a new program of 70 English teachers per year who had been ETAs in the past or who have other interests in teaching English as a second language. And we're expanding that program into the universities, which more and more are developing programs with English as the medium of instruction. And on the U.S. side, uh, the main change has been the expansion of the Fulbright FLTA program. That's the Foreign Language Teaching Assistant program, which is kind of parallel to the English Teaching Assistant program. Fulbright brings foreign language teachers from, I think it's over 30 countries, to the United States to teach their respective languages in American colleges and universities. We're now the major source of Mandarin education in the Fulbright FLTA program. Just six years ago, we sent five FLTAs to the U.S. This year, I have 45 FLTAs in the US. We've also increased our stipends for Taiwan grantees. We have, as I mentioned before, uh, expanded our awards from just PhDs to both doctorates and master's degrees. And we are putting a stronger emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion sort of on both sides. In other words, trying to expand the applicant pool in the United States for students to come to Taiwan and to expand the applicant pool in Taiwan uh, for more students to recognize that Fulbright is, a, is an option for them. So in all these ways, you know, we've seen positive growth in the last couple of years, and I expect that to continue through through the near future. I think especially, you know, for American students and scholars, it's kind of in a way back to my generation. And this dates me because, you know, I've been uh, coming to Taiwan for over 30 years. But when I first came here as a graduate student, that was back in the days when, you know, those of us who were studying Chinese history, I was doing late imperial history, uh, you know, you went to Taiwan because you couldn't go to China. And so we came to Taiwan, not because of any particular intrinsic interest in Taiwan, uh, but because we wanted to do China studies. Then when we got here, you know, we fell in love with Taiwan, as many people do. Um, But in some ways, um, we are kind of returning to those days. We're seeing more American scholars doing traditional China studies who feel that, um, you know, China is not an option for them now. Um, The educational environment is too restrictive. Uh, There's too much oversight. Um, Their colleagues, uh, university colleagues in China are reluctant to partner with them. Uh, So we're seeing more and more of those traditional China scholars uh, choosing Taiwan uh, to do their work. Uh, So I, and I don't see that trend, uh, you know, changing. If, If anything, I think we're going to see more and more of that. So I have an embarrassment of riches in terms of how many Americans, students, teachers, scholars wanna be in Taiwan. Um, I, I, I simply, you know, I, I, I would love to take them all, but I can't, uh, I can't accommodate all of them. But going the other direction, you know, we have to find ways to encourage Taiwanese to see the United States as an attractive destination for their study and research.
0: Well, thank you so much for outlining all of those initiatives. It's really exciting to hear how Fulbright Taiwan is really taking advantage of recent interest in Taiwan. Um, although it is quite surprising, I think, to hear that Taiwanese um, are not as interested in going to the U.S.
2: When you dig into the numbers a little bit more, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's actually the declining numbers are in terms of graduate study and especially at the doctoral level, as I mentioned before. Uh, undergraduate enrollments have stayed pretty steady and in fact have grown some over the last five years, that is before COVID. Uh, So more uh, Taiwanese families are choosing the United States as the destination for their kids' undergraduate study. So that has remained strong. Uh, But for graduate study is where we've seen uh, a weakening in the numbers.
0: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ndeau, for outlining all these recent developments. I hope that academic exchanges between the U.S. and Taiwan will continue to be strong, and I hope that U.S. students will continue to have such a high interest to study in Taiwan as well. Thank you to Dr. Nido for giving us a deeper look into the trends of interest between Taiwan and the U.S., Surprisingly, it seems that the U.S. may also need to think about their image in regards to the Taiwanese community. Thank you so much to Dr. Nadeau for joining us, and to you, our listeners, for tuning in. This podcast was made possible in part by the Taiwan Academy Spotlight Taiwan Grant. Production assistance is from Adrian Wu and Marshall Reed. Thank you also to our staff and interns for your support in making this episode possible. Intro and background music is by I'm Difficult, Wu shih Ji chi The Global Taiwan Institute is a 501c3 think tank located in Washington, D.C., If you're interested in learning more about GTI, be sure to check out our website at globaltaiwan.org where you can find information about our Global Taiwan Brief and our frequent public seminars. You can also listen to more episodes of Taiwan Salon on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts, as well as on our website's podcast page. Thank you for listening and until next time.